What's up, gentlemen? This is Rising Phoenix Podcast, the podcast about how to rise up after your divorce. I'm your host, Michael Rhodes. Let's get into it. Joining me today is Beth Curlin. Uh, Beth, let's just jump right into it. Wants to tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi. So thank you so much for having me on here. Uh, so I am. Um, I wear a lot of different hats. I think of. One is that I'm a clinical psychologist and I've been in practice for, let's say over 27, I think I've lost track, 27, 28 years. Um, And I see people really across the lifespan and Mm. very passionate about the work I do. And actually on that note, I hope it's okay if I throw out this little disclaimer. Sure. Which I like to always share when I'm giving talks and and speaking in front of people. It's just that whatever I share today is is strictly for educational purposes only, and is not intended in as any way psychological, you know, intervention or treatment of any kind. Gotcha. I certainly encourage and actually happy to talk about this at some point, but encourage anybody who may be struggling with mental health issues to seek the you know guidance of a licensed mental health professional in their state. Um, Anyway, so throwing that out there, just my my psychology hat there. Um, But I also do mind-body wellness coaching. Hmm. Um, I'm the author of three books. I wrote, started writing books after my oldest. I have two children. Um, They're both in their mid-20s now, but my daughter went off to college and I had all this creative energy and started writing. So I wrote three books, uh, two of which are focused on really reducing stress and cultivating well-being. And then a third book, which is a book of poetry. Mm. So fun, awesome. fun, creative expression there. Mm. Uh, I love public speaking. I had an opportunity to TEDx talk just before the pandemic, nice. which was awesome. Nice. Uh, I created an online course called the Wellbeing Toolkit. And I do some blog writing for Psychology Today. I've created a bunch of um, meditations on Insight Timer and some audio courses. So a lot of creative things that I really love. And I think underlying all of it is my interest in this merging of neuroscience and psychology of mind, body, and spirit, and really trying to... um, make sense of it all really kind of based on, I think my own struggles, my own humanness. I came into the world, I believe wired kind of high stress, a little Mm. bit more on that type A end and certainly with a good bit of anxiety in there. Mm. And so I, one of my graduate professors said that we teach people what we most need to learn ourselves. And I, I see myself really as gravitating towards a lot of things I'm so passionate about because they're also things that really help me. Yeah, well, I, I can relate to that. Uh, so uh, how I found you was the Psychology Today uh, blog, and um, it, it discussed dark emotions. So let's uh, let's dive into that. What, what are the dark emotions? So the way I think about dark emotions is really emotions that are are difficult, maybe we'd label as difficult. Some people may label as even bad, or I don't want to feel those things. Um, I think important, and I'll get into this to not kind of go with good or bad, but but that's in our inherent reaction. Um, but they're unpleasant, they're uncomfortable to feel. And so we naturally have this inclination to avoid, or to turn away from, or to want to escape. And interestingly, that's really wired into our biology. Hmm. Um, We are wired to seek pleasure and avoid pain. And that helped us survive, helped our Stone Age ancestors survive. Hmm. And a lot of the pain that they needed to avoid back then was was external physical threats, such as the saber-toothed tigers and so forth. But we have carried this wiring along with us and yet now, often the way that it can be expressed for, for us in our modern lives is also avoiding our internal uncomfortable experiences, such as sadness or anxiety or frustration or anger or those kinds of emotions that are not so pleasant to feel. Uh, so that's a little bit about how I think about 
those, you know, more uh, dark emotions, if you will, certainly grief, grief mm. would fall in there for sure. Yeah, that's well. well, that's one that's relevant for, for sure here. Um, so so let's talk about um, we'll, we'll get into the, the benefits and the hows and all that kind of good stuff. But let's talk about first the consequences of not what happens when you avoid these things, um, sadness and grief, perhaps uh, in particular, although all the, obviously there's other, others to throw in there, shame. Um, but but let's yeah. try and stick with with those two of, of grief and sadness. Yeah, I would say there's a couple of things that happen. Um, and I, and I guess this really in my mind applies to, to all of the emotions in some ways, but, um, I think of it, it, a couple of different analogies. So one is this kind of finger trap dilemma. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen one of those gag toys where you put your finger, you know, one finger in each end. Yep. And, um, and this is actually a metaphor from ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. So this is not, you know, I didn't come up with this, but this idea that you, you stick your finger in each end and um, the harder you try to pull your fingers out, the more stuck you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, spoiler alert, that the way to get out is actually to push your fingers counterintuitive, like in towards each other. But but the the point here is that as we fight against our internal emotions, as we try to, um, and often I think the ways that people can react to feeling sadness or grief is trying to ignore it, trying to push it away. Um, we can end up inadvertently not meaning to, but getting stuck Mm. in it. Um, other ways that I think about this are, you know, imagine putting a, a lid on a pot of boiling water and that eventually you know that that steam has nowhere to go and so it's just going to start to to sort of spill over it's going to show up in other ways um another analogy might be imagine um carrying you know this this heavy suitcase and that 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 there may be things that happen painful events in our life that create these emotions at that certain time. Um, And if we don't process those emotions, it's sort of like carrying that heavy suitcase everywhere we go. There isn't that opportunity to really set it down and be able to move forward in some ways. Uh, Last analogy I have is, uh, and this is another one from ACT, from Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, but I think it's, it's um, a really interesting, helpful one is, is this idea of, it's called the, unwel- these, the unwelcome party guest or something along those lines. Imagine you're throwing a big party and you have all these people arriving and all of a sudden this person arrives who's this unwanted guest. He's kind of unseemly and he's, you know, not very polite and, and you don't want him at the party. So you're standing there at the door in order to, you know, keep him out, you have to stand there at the door, holding the door closed so that he doesn't push his way in. Mm. But as you're doing that, then you're not able to be at the party. You're not able to enjoy and mingle with your guests and do all the things you wanna be doing because you're holding that door shut so tightly. And so I think that we can end up doing this with some of these more difficult emotions and not realize that, you know, so there's a lot of ways that, and and I can talk more about the biology, but this idea that uh, there's some underlying survival tendencies we have and ways that these behaviors may be trying to protect us. And yet it can also prevent us from really being able to fully experience and and live our lives. So how much of this when when you're going through something like a divorce or or a breakup, I think divorce especially hits hits harder for for various reasons. But how much do you balance out? Because I hear I, I I see and hear this all the time. Um, in in terms of doing stuff, uh, uh, sort of almost sort of distracting yourself. So go to the gym. Um, go you know go to the movies. Go go to dinner. Like go out and 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 experience life and. How, how much of a balance is that do you, do you need to have there? Because I feel like some part of that advice is 
detrimental because it it causes you to ignore it, right? Mm-hmm. But I also think you can't sit in the corner and cry all day long. So how much how much of a balance is is there? How much distraction is is? I, I know that probably is hard to quantify, but um, maybe maybe the question is how do you know if you're if you're ignoring it too much and and distracting too much? Mm, that's a that's a really great question and a really interesting question to consider. I think one is this idea of really learning how to attend to our own body signals. Mm. And and I can talk more about that and how we do that. But I think that's a really important piece to pay attention to uh, what's going on inside of me. Mm-hmm. I know for me, there are some times when I'm feeling sadness or loss or grief about something. And to make the space for myself to, to sit and whether I journal, whether I just reflect, whether I talk to somebody about it, um, allowing those feelings to come up feels, I, I feel then some release and mm-hmm. some, some freedom internally in my body when I do that. And so that's a helpful signal to say, yeah, this, this emotion needs some space. Yeah. No, I, I need some time to process this. Um, I think we can get stuck in our stories. Mm-hmm. We can get stuck in our heads. We can get, stuck. so emotions need to be felt in the body. in order to be fully processed and and move through, we can get stuck in our heads and we can get stuck in unhelpful ruminations and stories about whatever difficult events may be occurring. So when we are more in these mental loops and these unhelpful ruminations, that can especially be a time to to, to take more action. Hmm to engage in behaviors. And sometimes, and let me throw this out too, that sometimes we can just be really overwhelmed emotionally, that it just feels too big and too overwhelming that to make the space in this moment to sit and try to turn towards that is not gonna be beneficial. Right. And so in that case, it may be more wise and skillful to say, okay, what can I do where I can put my attention on something? And, and I want to redefine a little bit. I, I do this often for my clients, this idea of distraction. Mm-hmm. I kind of flip it sometimes and I, and I call it the undistraction uh, you know, technique, if you will. It depends on what we're talking about, but especially if we're talking about more mental rumination. Sure. That... Um, our minds like to create these these stories, these narratives that we get stuck in. And when we make the decision to say, hey, okay, uh, I'm stuck in this dark place. I'm just thinking about all these negative thoughts right now and I'm really dragging me down here. Say, okay, I'm gonna go to the gym hmm. or I'm gonna reach out with a buddy and you know meet up and do something or go for a walk. When we can find things that bring us into the present moment, okay, I'm engaged with whatever activity I'm doing, we're actually undistracting, you know, we're, we're, right. we're, stepping, we're stepping out of those mental ruminations and bringing ourselves back into the present moment of what's happening here and now. So that can be grounding, that can be hmm. helpful. And even when there may be more emotional overwhelm to just be able to focus on you know, what's here, my five senses, present moment, something that can engage me, you know, doing a puzzle um, for somebody, you know, I'm thinking of people sometimes who have gone through enormous grief and they just feel so overwhelmed by their emotions, being able to do something like focusing on a jigsaw puzzle uh, can, can help ground and stabilize them. So, so there's an interesting balance of trying to make space for these emotions, but being able to tune in enough inside ourselves to know what we might need at any given point. Yeah, uh, I think rumination is is a. I think it's one we. I think probably we all struggle with. Um, I could be wrong there, but it feels yeah. like every, it feels like everyone. Yeah, it feels like everyone I talk to like that's that's the thing, and I, I think that's probably we'll probably get into that into the the how. Uh, to, to embrace these dark emotions, the how of it will probably come up, but 
I want to touch on it a little bit though. Ruminating because a lot of times I'll, I'll talk to guys and they'll be like, and I'll say, listen, um, you know, you need to reflect and 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 understand what happened, and but not sit with it. But when they sort of sit or when they try to do that, when they try to reflect, they end up just ruminating over and over. And mm-hmm. and I think what what that is, I think to my my layman's term is is they're just um, they're avoiding actually feeling something. Mm-hmm. If they can, if they can outthink the problem, they won't have to feel the problem. And 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 I think that's um, again, I don't I don't know the percentages or how many, but it feels like a whole lot of people. That's that is a protection mechanism from actually feeling. Is that is that how you see rumination, or or how do you see rumination? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really helpful way of of describing it. That oftentimes, yeah, our brains are often constantly trying to problem solve mm-hmm. and figure out solutions. The problem is that when we're dealing with difficult emotions, especially things like a heartbreak or you know things like that, yep. um, they're not, they're not always solutions to be had. Right. They're not ha- hard and fast solutions. There might be helpful action steps we can take at, sure. at points, and and that's great to identify that. But the mind often likes to loop around almost in these dead end circles, trying to to find their way out of something where you're absolutely right. I think there are times when we just need to make contact with what those feelings are in order to help process what's there. Yeah. And that's, and that can be difficult. And I think we'll get into that. Cause I, I, I know how to do that myself. I I've learned this skill and it is a skill, I believe to, to drop into my body, to, to figure out what is this emotion doing to my body? Like physically, is it t- tightness here? Uh, uh, you know, a uh, uh, tension here or whatever, um, mm-hmm. certain, certain things that I've, I've learned, but, but let's talk about before we get into this, that sort of stuff, like Let's talk about the whys. Why Why would we want to embrace these dark emotions? Why would we want to feel these feelings? Yeah, that's a great question too. So there's a saying in psychology that is, you know, what you resist persists. Hmm. And there's a good amount of research, especially in the mindfulness literature, that when we can turn towards rather than away from some of these uncomfortable emotions that we actually experience greater psychological well-being. Hmm. So interestingly, so some of the research suggests that when we turn towards our cravings, for example, we're less likely to get stuck in addictive behaviors. Hmm. When when we can bring curiosity, and I think curiosity is, is a wonderful wor- word to think about in terms of approaching this, you know, um, when we have curiosity, there's more openness, huh? Isn't that interesting that I notice this tightness in my body right now, or wow, there's this sinking feeling that's happening. Let me be curious about that. Let me see, what is that? What is that about? Um, When we can turn towards our physical pain, there's interesting research that suggests that we become less stuck in chronic pain cycles. When we can actually notice more mindfully, and I can, you know, define that a little bit more. Yep. When we turn towards our sadness, we tend to be less likely to be stuck in depression. And when we turn towards anxiety, we're less likely to to be stuck or paralyzed by it, or or more able to be able to move through it or take meaningful mm-hmm. actions and things like that. So it, it, another really interesting thing is that some of the research has looked at you know what's happening in the brain when we're experiencing different emotions and difficult emotions, and has found that just the simple act of noticing and naming what we're feeling dials down this part of our brain, the amygdala, mm-hmm. which is responsible for our in part responsible for our threat reaction, that uh, part of our brain that that sends a whole cascade of messages to our body that that brings us into, you know, kind of more of a fight or flight response. Again, can say more about that, but 
when we can just simply notice and name what we're feeling that dampens down, turns down that response in mm. the brain that creates a little bit more sense of, um, well, takes intensity. Why, why is that? Why, I mean, is that, can you, is that possible to, to quantify that or, or, or define that? Like why, why if I say, uh, for instance, um, and, and you can correct me or, or, or give a better example, but if I, if I sit and feel, uh, say I, I feel really hurt by her cheating, let's just say, I'm just throwing it out there. Mm -hmm. What, what does that do or how does that work that, that it causes some type of relief? So one of the things that I would say in, in my understanding is that when we uh, get caught in emotions, when we're just, when we're swept in them, and I think we all can think of experiences, I certainly oh, yeah. can myself, sure. you know, anger is an easy one oh, yeah. to think about where sometimes, you know, we get triggered yes. and we're just in it and and it's like you can be zero to 60 it's very you know uh it, it, it sweeps you away yep. and um so when we're able to notice and name it's activating a different part of our brain mm. to be able to do the noticing and so it's turning on this part of our brain that allows us to kind of take a half step back mm. and now instead of being caught in it we're observing it a little bit more, um, let's say ideally non-judgmentally, that may not always happen. We may, there may be judgments to get, you know, in terms of oh, why am I feeling this? But in terms of a mind, well, you know, practicing or learning, and like you said, there's these skills, right? Yeah. Learning mindfulness is to be able to notice and name it from a non-judgmental place. Right. I notice that I'm feeling a lot of anger right now. It allows us to take that half step back, back again. It's activating a different part of the brain. And we step out of those circuits that are just looping us, pulling us right in. So it, it, when you're in those states, like let's call them fight or flight, freeze, fawn, whatever, everyone has different definitions, or I've heard different definitions. So fawn is a, a newer one that I've heard recently. Um, yeah. six months or so you're you're almost in the same type of your brain is locked into this the same similar state right uh it, it, you're not in a logical rational hey let me think about this type of brain for lack mm -hmm. of again i I'm we're, very... we're in survival mode yeah okay so the, okay the excellent description so you're in survival mode um you're 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 not able to think rationally and and so if you're in um let's call it freeze because you're just hurt and you don't know what to do. And you're just, you're just distraught and you're sad and you're, you're miserable. You can't see a way, a path. Uh, you, you have no hope because you're not, you're not using a rational brain. Right. And so isn't this really about being mindful to, to take a step back to, to maybe breathe or, or do something to sort of calm yourself in some kind of way, or maybe even just the noticing is enough to calm yourself to then get into a rational brain and go, okay, my life's not over. I'm still breathing. There's all these other things. I mean, that's kind of basically the, 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 what we're trying to achieve in when, when we do those uh, take those breaths or, or whatever it is to, to be mindful is to get us to a, a rational uh, place, essentially, right? Yeah, I would say definitely that there are these different parts of our nervous system. And, and so it really starts in the nervous system. And I think it's really helpful to think about it that way, yeah. to recognize that all of our emotions have a purpose and many of you know the, the the core emotions evolved to help us survive mm. in different ways both more what we would you know think of as positive and negative emotions but a lot of this really starts in our nervous system in our autonomic nervous system so we have this part of our brain that's constantly scanning our environment for cues of threat and danger or for cues of safety mm. And often this happens outside of our conscious awareness. 
And when we pick up on cues of threat, and, and in this case, you know, it could be somebody giving you a not so happy look, or maybe somebody who's averts their eyes, or, you know, it, it could be a lot of subtle things. Right. Um, our, our nervous system responds to those cues in a way trying to protect us. It reads those as, you know, okay, that's a cue of threat. And so it triggers a whole cascade of biochemical um, and, and other changes in our body, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up. So we, we initially try to respond to that by either fighting mm -hmm. as in fighting the saber toothed tiger or running, running the heck away. Right. You know, those are our classic yeah. fight or flight responses. Um, when though, and, and, and of course in our modern lives that can look like, you know, anger that can look like fear or anxiety yeah. and everything in between there. Yeah. And then when the threat may be overwhelming for us in some way um, or life-threatening, although again, in our modern lives, hopefully we don't you know, experience that too often, um, but, but it could just be emotionally overwhelming. Mm. Then we can go into more of a shutdown mode, a freeze mode. Mm. Um, and I think more of the, you know, depression certainly lives down there as well as just you know avoidance and um sometimes procrastination tons stuckness those yeah. kinds of things mm. and so our nervous system is always trying to protect us mm. and and so it's helpful just to name that that when whatever is happening you know what i'm feeling okay thank you nervous system you know right. for trying to protect me and now and here's where so that's like yes my survival brain has been activated Mm -hmm. And, and it's, I'm, I'm having this reflexive automatic response that is my body's way of trying to protect me. It may not always be the most helpful in given the, the modern day life current circumstances. And so that's where, and this is circling back to what you were saying, mm -hmm. to be able to turn on a different part of our most newly evolved part of our nervous system involves this uh, social engagement system. But when we, when that part of our nervous system is turned on, we feel safe and we feel in connection with others. Hmm. And so if we can be aware that I'm, I'm having a survival response, we can then do things to actively turn on this other part of our nervous system or access, if you will, this other part of our nervous system that allows us to feel more safe in connection. And when we have access to that most newly evolved part of our autonomic nervous system, that's where we have the greatest perspective taking. We feel more calm. We can see a bigger picture. Mm. We have access to more creativity and creative resources and problem solving and our own we have access to a lot more of our own inner resources to be able to step back and say okay wow this is a really hard situation what what might be helpful here so some of it is really about learning how to number one notice okay i'm having a survival response either fight flight or or shut down in some ways and when that's happening, how can I help regain control of my nervous system to shift me into a more safe physiology where my nervous system is picking up some cues of safety because that's gonna help me see a bigger picture. That's gonna help me proceed in maybe the most skillful way. And this is a, this is a, a skill and you have to practice it, right? You can't do it one time and, or, or one moment, uh, you know, if you're, you're in the middle of a, let's say, I don't, I don't, I mean, I see a lot of anger in, in, I, in my support group, so we can go with that one. Uh, uh, but, mm -hmm. I, but I think I, but also sadness is also the one that sometimes I think, um, concerns me more in some ways. Cause I think anger is somewhat simpler because I think ultimately, and this is just my view, anger is usually just a, it's a surface emotion. It's usually covering something else. And if we can learn to get under it, but, but, but be that as it may, I do see a lot of anger. So if you're angry, 
um, you know, you just had an interaction with your ex and she wants more money or she wants, doesn't want to give you the kids or whatever it is. Right. And you're, you're, you're super pissed and you're, you're not going to be able to go, Oh, I'm, I'm really pissed off. And, and then suddenly you're going to calm down and everything's going to be okay. And even if you are right, that's just one time it, it is, it truly is right. A skill that you must practice each and every time that you have these emotions and feelings. I mean, uh, is that, is that correct? I, I definitely think of it as a skill. There's yeah. a, a neuropsychologist who I really appreciate his research, uh, Richard Davidson hmm. at University of Wisconsin at Madison. And I heard him in an interview once say that well-being is fundamentally no different than learning to play the cello. And that it really, it is a skill that we can cultivate and we need to, at least for myself, I can speak, I need to keep practicing it. Yeah, yeah. It's not a one and done. No. For sure. No. No, definitely uh, not. So, so let's, yeah. let's move on to, to the how then, cause we, we've kind of yeah. been covering it, but, but let's talk about the how to, to embrace these dark emotions and to, to really, uh, to, to feel them. How, how do you, uh, how do you describe that action of, of the, the how of feeling these dark emotions? Yeah. So lots of different, um, pieces I could throw out here. The first one that I'll say is I think of the tool of a flashlight and imagine that you're walking around in a pitch black room, there's obstacles and so forth. In in the darkness, you'd be tripping over things, you'd be stumbling and so forth. And if somebody hands you a flashlight, suddenly the room is illuminated and the obstacles don't go away, but you can see more clearly can navigate with greater ease. And so when we begin to carry this flashlight around metaphorically, right, throughout our day and begin to notice what's happening in my body, what's happening in my nervous system, what am I feeling? It can help to shift what's going on. And I'll, I'm going to give you an example um, in a moment of that. But some of the things that we can notice are, like I said, noticing, naming our emotions, mm. just what can I label like what's going on in here? We can notice physical sensations in our body. I feel tightness in my chest. Oh, my heart's starting to beat faster. Oh, I feel like yeah. some kind of dropping in my stomach. You know, my, my arms are really tense, right? So noticing physical body sensations, emotions, um, as I mentioned, and we can notice what our thoughts are. Now, I think that can be really helpful, especially because often our thoughts create more suffering for us. The kinds of things we say to us like, hey, I'm feeling sad. But then I say to myself, oh, my God, what's wrong with me that I'm feeling so sad or that I must be weak or I don't want to be, you know, whatever we attach to that. Right. That narrative often can increase our suffering. So it can be helpful to begin to pay attention to what those thoughts are. And then the the last thing we can notice is our, how am I inclined to act? You know, am I going to go, am I pulled toward doing something that's going to be unhelpful or maybe unhealthy uh, or, or not? And so that flashlight, if we remember to turn it on, is a way of really checking in and beginning to notice these different dimensions of our experience. Um, and, and a little exercise that I, that I do with people sometimes, and this is just really short, but can throw it out here, mm -hmm. is to I'll say a few phrases mm. and and then I'm going to repeat them and I'm going to change the wording slightly. Mm. So as I say these, I want you to think about just a typical, nothing too charged, but a typical time in your week when you might feel this. Um, and then I'm going to change the wording. This will make sense to you in a second. Yeah. And, and so as... I say these words, I invite you to say them in your own mind out, out loud to yourself and really then feel in your body what comes up for you when you hear this and say this to yourself. All right, so um, say, I'm so angry. I'm so angry. And just feel whatever that evokes in you as you might think about a time when you mm. experience something like that. Okay, the next one is, I'm so anxious. I'm so anxious. 
and just kind of feel mm. that in your body. And maybe again, a time you would feel that. And, and the third one I'll throw out is I'm so stupid. Mm. I'm so stupid. And again, just really pay attention to what happens in your body when you say that to yourself. Mm. And now I'm going to go through each of those again, and I'm going to add the phrase, I noticed that. And, and I want you to see if anything shifts or changes for you as we go through this again. So I notice that I'm feeling a lot of anger in my body right now. Notice that I'm feeling a lot of anger in my body right now. I notice that my body is going into a survival response of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I notice that my body is going into a survival response of anxiety right now. I notice that I'm having the thought mm -hmm. that I'm so stupid. Notice that I'm having a thought that I'm so stupid. So I'm curious for you. Did you did you sense any uh, different? Oh, oh yeah. It, yeah, no, it takes you out of your. It's so funny. It's it just seems so simplistic in some ways. But yes, it 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 takes it. I believe it takes you out of. Thinking and more into feeling. Or, or 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 noticing and it gosh it just seems so simplistic to me um but it just in terms of it i don't know how to describe it but it's just like well well there's your answer you know what i mean I, not that it's easy yeah. Yeah. you know not that it's easy but yes yes it absolutely takes me out of my um, it, i don't know how to describe it it, it gets me looking which is different than yeah. feeling, but, but not, not yeah. feeling, but, but ruminating or, or the continuous, uh, it, it just, it felt like I had a um, sort of like a mission or something like, okay, let, what, what, you know, what, what is this doing to me or, or whatever? It's just, and it's, it's, again, it seems so simplistic, but it's, it's just, um, I think once you master this or, or I shouldn't say master, cause that's, I don't know if you ever get to that, but I think once you practice yeah. regularly, this skill, it is a game changer. It is a life changer. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you, you will always need to practice for sure. But once you become comfortable with it, it changes everything for, for me, it, it changes everything. Yeah. Simple, but not easy. Right? Yes. Yes, for um, sure. Yeah. 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 And, and somebody, and so this metaphor of the flashlight is really mindful awareness. Yeah. It's really relating to our inner experiences in, with a different kind of attention. So rather than being caught in it. And, and so let me share this little um, analogy metaphor, but uh, <laughs> either way that somebody shared with me, but you know, imagine that uh, there's, there's a river with a strong current and that um, you are, you know, in the river and you're kind of being pulled, pulled down the river by that current, right? And you're sort of splashing and thrashing about and there you go, right? And mindfulness or this mindful awareness is like stepping out of the river and sitting, sitting on the bank of the river. And that water, that current is still strong and it's still going and it's pulling things down along with it, but you're able to sit on the bank and watch it, or, you know, you can watch the ships go pull by, but you're not getting dragged along in it. And so by just being able to step back and take that half step back and notice what's happening, it allows for just that little bit of space where we're not so swept away by whatever we're feeling. And in that space, we have more choice um, about how we respond. So I, I think that is one really helpful skill to cultivate. But an another one that I think about, and this goes back to something you were saying a few minutes ago, is what I call this tool of an anchor. Mm. And this idea of how do we anchor our nervous system mm. in some felt sense of safety, yeah. even in the midst of, so picture, you know, a, a ship 
in the harbor and it drops its anchor. And so even though there may be big turbulent waves and big passing storms, that ship remains safely anchored there. And to be able to find ways where we can do this in our own body and our own nervous system, even in the midst of really challenging situations, I think is immensely helpful. Mm. And one of the ways we can do this is by regulating our breathing. Mm. And I know a lot of people talk about, or, you know, have heard, oh, take, take a few deep breaths. And right. eh, it's easy. it seems like a little silly sometimes, or, okay, well, that's, you know, yeah. and I, my grandmother told me to do, you know. Right, right. Um, but, but there's a lot of really... Uh, important science behind that, that as we can regulate our breathing, we're actually changing what's happening at our autonomic nervous system. Um, so here's a little fun experiment to just try this one out. I'm curious, um, just for your listeners as well, I'm going to um, invite you to take a deep breath. And just so however you do that, take a deep breath or two right now and just notice kind of how you do that in your body. Okay. Right. So I, I have the, uh, the luxury here of watching you. Yeah. So I can see that you, um, you know, took both a deep inhalation, but also like a deep exhalation. A lot of people, when we think about taking a deep breath, they focus on the inhalation. Mm. They, they just kind of, you know, kind of right. breathe in a lot of air. And when we're charged, when we're feeling more of that fight or flight, mm. anger or anxiety or different flavors thereof, when we actually breathe in and accentuate the inhalation, it can rev up our sympathetic nervous system in a way that's not so helpful. Hmm. When we wanna calm down, when we wanna bring more calm energy into our nervous system, we wanna accentuate the exhalation because every time we exhale, we are actually slowing down the heart rate. There's, um, I guess I won't get into all the science <laughs> behind it, but that's the bottom line of it. Right. Um, so, so if you're feeling anxious or angry or more revved up, if you let the breath come in naturally through your nose without trying to inhale too deeply and take a really nice slow exhalation, really making that exhalation longer than the inhalation. You mm. might even imagine like blowing, blowing out like through uh, pursed lips, like through a straw. Sometimes that helps to slow down the exhalation or even a deep sigh. Mm. That actually sends cues of safety to our autonomic nervous system, there's no real threat here. Hmm. Um, now, alternatively, if we're feeling really low and down and stuck, then we may wanna accentuate the inhalation. We may wanna actually take some deeper breaths in because that energizes, that, that helps mobilize us, that turns on that sympathetic nervous system, which maybe we need a little mobilized energy if we're sort of feeling like we just want to crawl in bed and pull the covers over our head. Um, so that can be helpful. So interesting. That's just one example of a kind of, you know, using our breath as an anchor of anchoring our nervous system in a way that can then help us feel more safe and grounded. Too. I mean, this stuff is just so fascinating to me. It, like it's, it's, it's like there are answers to 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 deal with these emotions. It, it's not like it's uh, it's impossible to get through these things to to come out. Um, I think especially if you learn some of these skills to come out better than you were before. It's it it seems and feels so hopeless in the beginning, but there are ways to make yourself feel better. Uh, you know, it, it it's it's not a cure all in, in terms of um, if if you're just starting out your divorce and it's very devastating and and but you can have these moments of 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 i don't know um peace for for a few moments where you can sort of relax uh not ruminate not get caught up in the what ifs and the and all that kind of stuff and and i think i always come back to this i feel like the answer to all of it and it sounds 
Well, it sounds there's there's a couple of things I'm sure that it sounds to folks, but it's all about mindfulness, right? It's all about being aware of your thoughts and and being able to realize that you aren't your thoughts and that you can yeah. you can change your thoughts again through some of these skills that we described. I really feel like gosh, the secret to life is really mindfulness. I don't I know people hear that and you're like, I don't know, they think about monks sitting around going oh or whatever, but but like that's that's not what I'm talking about. The ability to just be able to step back and 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 see your or 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 know your thoughts or whatever without being wrapped up in them. It's just it's yeah. so it's so important. And and I think on that note, really being aware of our narratives. Mm, oh we, yeah. We, we feel like our nervous system reacts and then we create these stories yep. about what's going on. And often these stories can be inaccurate, they can be distorted, they can be unhelpful. Thousand percent, yes. Yes. Yeah. And they can come from all kinds of things. Often they can come from our childhood. Childhood, yeah. Messages yeah. that we learned, you know, yeah. you know, you're not if you are show sadness, you're not strong and yes. or, you know, or, yes. um, you know, you should or shouldn't feel certain things or, um, a lot of people, you know, carry around feelings of I'm not good enough in some way, a deep yeah. inner core, yep. that there can be that, yep. um, or, you know, maybe for people going through a divorce, it's not uncommon to have narratives that, that are along the lines of, um, you know, what's, What's wrong with me? I'm not lovable in some way. Yes, I'm a failure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when we get stuck in these narratives, or often, by the way, we don't even realize how much of those narratives are present in our mind. So yep. part of it is then shining the flashlight and aha, okay, let me see what's what, what, what am I actually saying to myself here? And then stopping to say, is this actually true? Yeah. Do I know this? to be true is this factual or is this me interpreting or maybe even you know distorting what's going on and and when we can step out of those narratives yeah. uh it can really bring a lot of powerful freedom or change those narratives to be to, to be more accurate yeah yeah i did some some work with narrative therapy um and man did i find that really really helpful um it's, it, it is just about writing your story essentially and then writing it, um, you know, in a hopeful way or, or um, with a different perspective. You know, I am this way because, you know, this is what I needed to do to survive or, or you know, yeah. make it make it through as a child or whatever. It's just yeah. it, because you're right. We get locked into especially from childhood. It all goes back to childhood. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, we get these stories in our head about who we are because that's what we we're told by by folks. And then sometimes I think a lot of times, maybe all times, honestly, we also choose mates who end up telling us that same story in some ways. Uh, you know, maybe not initially, obviously, the honeymoon period and maybe there's years and whatever. But I think eventually uh, these stories, they sort of become self-fulfilling prophecies in, in, a, in a sad kind of way and mm. being able to change that narrative, but but just be aware of, it. again, mindfulness, yeah. like what am I telling myself about myself? If you can answer that question in a, in a um, you know, a, a non-biased uh, way, it, it, it's just, gosh, it's so, so powerful and helpful and it really can lead you to hope which is yeah. sometimes very hard to find uh, when you're going yeah. through a divorce. And, and often um, I think another piece that can be really powerful and hard mm. and not one that comes naturally to most people, I think is to be able to bring some self-compassion mm -hmm. what we're experiencing. And, and maybe even when people hear that word, there may be a lot of sure economic nervous system reactions to that word yep. um but when we can really meet ourselves where we are yep. and when we it, it, one way to think about it is kind of if you were sitting with a buddy who's going through a divorce yes. how would you sit with them yep. you know how what would how would you be present yep. with their suffering their pain you know and you probably just listen you'd hold the space you might be encouraging you might be yep. you know just kind of put put, put an arm hey you know mm -hmm. i'm here yep. 
how and, and it's learning how to do that for ourselves. For ourselves, yeah. 100%. Trying to do that for ourselves. And when we can hold our own suffering in that way, it is transformative. I have seen that time and again. Um, and not always easy to do on our own, which is why I think sometimes working with a therapist, yep. uh, my bias, of course, but also my experience. Like I've been in my own yeah. therapy plenty. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, you, you'll get no uh, argument from me on that front. Uh, I am not a therapist, uh, but I, I, I mean, I, there are a few things in life. I think that should, that everybody should be in therapy. We, we were, we were raised by fallible humans who made plenty of mistakes and as a parent i may make them more often than i would like so i i know the that we're all damaged to varying degrees and and the only way to sort that shit out is to get into therapy and uh, it's i can't i couldn't recommend that enough a good therapist it's just like dating don't settle because yeah. you know yeah. as yeah, because yeah, I don't think uh, the, the the title of doctor or therapist or whatever doesn't mean they're infallible either. And 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 so you have to make and some of it, too, I think is like comfortability, like, you know, am I comfortable with this person? But but don't don't pick just anyone, pick a good one. And a good one is invaluable to life in my in my view. Yeah, I think that's important. A goodness of fit for sure. Yeah. You know, to, to find somebody that. um you're comfortable with and yeah. i know for me it's been it's been life-changing yeah for sure um okay. you you mentioned uh act a couple of times acceptance commitment and therapy therapy what yeah. i've never heard of that could you could you if you don't mind could you dive into that a little bit yeah so just to to say um in, in the context of what we're talking about one of the things that act so there's really this idea of accepting our internal experiences and committing to valued actions, to commit, you know, identifying like what, what is really most important to us and how can we take actions based on that and be willing to experience uncomfortable emotions in the process. So, so let me say that there's something they call experiential avoidance. Hmm. And it's this idea that we can not only avoid our own uncomfortable emotions, but we can then start to avoid the experiences in which those emotions might show up. Mm -hmm. So if I'm anxious about going to social situations, you know, in, in certain social situations, right? I don't like the feeling of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm going to start to avoid going into certain situations that potentially could evoke that anxiety for me. Yeah. And as I do that, my life is going to become smaller. a little bit smaller, yeah. right? And so, uh, and I mean, we could we could talk about that with with sadness, maybe, or with a breakup, you know, and in the sense of protecting, I'm going to protect my heart, and I'm going to like not allow myself to ever feel yeah. hurt again, right? And so, but this experiential avoidance actually, you know, again, can make our life smaller. We're not able to sort of live fully and wholly yeah. um, in, in that way. And so part of what ACT teaches is how can we develop the willingness to experience some discomfort that that is part of our human condition. Mm -hmm. And it's not uh, necessarily a bad thing, but you know, if I'm willing to experience a little bit of anxiety and I know, yeah, that might happen. Hey, coming on and doing this podcast, right? I always get a little bit of you know, a <laughs> mix of, of excitement and anxiety. Sure. But if I wasn't willing to experience some of that, then you know, I, I close myself off from these opportunities. So it's it's developing that that willingness to be able to um, go after those things that we really want in our lives, and then to identify the values. Mm -hmm. what are the values that we're committed to? Yeah. And so I'm committed to helping other people. Yeah. And if I can come on this podcast and maybe that means that I have to feel a little bit nervous and anxious, you know, sure. prior to, but if I can help one person, mm. right, that, that a lot, that helps me get through it. Yeah. And I've kind of another tool that I call the beacon 
just a name that I came up with is this idea of, um, you know, think about a, a beacon, like a beacon of light that guides sure. ships to shape, to safe harbor. Yep. And those ships might start to veer off course, but the beacon, you know, if you hold the beacon out in sight, you, you stay aligned with your course. Yep. And similar with us in life, if we can identify what is it that we're most deeply committed to? Who is it that we want to be? How do we want to show up? Yeah. and hold that out in front of us like a beacon of light, yeah. it can help us, um, I would say, not override, I'm not sure that's the best word, but manage yeah. these difficult emotions that may be present in order to show up as our best self. Hmm. So, um, you know, if I'm able to, let's say I'm going through a divorce and there's a lot of rage and anger about... Um, you know, interacting with my ex. Yep. And yet part of my value is, you know, core value of um, I want to really create as harmonious an environment for my kids as possible. Yeah. And that's my beacon. Then even as I'm getting activated by certain things that may, you know, be really bring up let's say strong emotion of anger or something, holding that beacon out in front of me and being able to, to really be committed to what's important to me. It helps to work through or override. So you have more choice, yeah. but this is how I want to act. Despite the fact that these feelings are here, I'm going to choose these actions. Yeah. It's about knowing your values to sort of keep you on your path. Right. You know, it, it, or, yeah. or in some ways, I guess, giving you a path because like, I find I did, I did some, some similar work where I, I've learned some of my values, but I, it was not anything that I really, um, did before. Like I did, I mean, I knew like some of the things I believed or whatever, but I never sat down and, and said, okay, what are, what are my values? And, and when you learn those, then it, it, it allows you to make decisions based on those and, and keep you going towards yourself in, in a way, right. It, it doesn't, it, you won't, I mean, not that you can't stray or make mistakes. We, we all do that kind of shit, but it's more about you're sort of following your path and sticking to it. It, it I think it provides, talk about safety and comfort. I, I believe it does yes. that because no matter what I'm sticking and going this way and that's my way. And, and based on, you know, my values and, and, and I, and I love the, the, uh, the description of a beacon. I think that's, uh, that's awesome. I, I, yeah. I think it's really important. Yeah, and it does activate a different part of the brain. When we can connect in with what we care about, mm -hmm. it connects, it, it does turn on a different part of the brain that, again, can help us manage whatever those strong emotions are. I'm thinking about a particular situation where my son ended up in the emergency room. Mm. Um, it was uh, kind of one of these New Year's Eve, get woken out of sleep, like Ooh. having to deal with. And think anyway, at the time... My, I really tried to hold on to my beacon because I was extremely anxious about what was going on. It was unclear, you know, we was just having some strange medical things happening. And so my beacon in that moment was to try to be a calm presence for him. Hmm. And that didn't mean that, I, you know, of course I still felt super sure. anxious, but by just holding that out in front of me, yeah. it's like, okay, this is what, how I want to show up for him. It, it really did help me to focus on that and this is something that i care about and so it helped me navigate my own challenging emotions in that moment yeah uh, yeah. yeah it's incredibly important I, and I, I i didn't know my own until maybe two years ago when i went uh, through a program that that was sort of the central part of the program is is finding out your values and and i i've used it since and it's it um it absolutely helps you gives you a direction uh, maybe even uncovers your purpose in a way, which is kind of what it did for me. Honestly, it, it led me to where, I, to where I am now. Uh, when I learned, you know, connection and leadership, love, when I learned that these are some of my values, it was like, well, what do I do with that? Well, here you go. Here's, here's some things you can do. And, and clearly this, this podcast fulfills that. Um, Beth, I want to thank you. I, I think we could probably talk for a couple of days on this stuff because I'm fascinated by a topic. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, one last question 
which is the last one I ask everybody. And then we'll get to uh, how can people find you and, and your books and okay. all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Um, so the last question I ask everyone is what words of wisdom would you impart to a man who is just starting his divorce process? Mm. So first of all, I'd say, listen to your podcast because <laughs> you, you've done a lot of work yourself and uh, it's clear from, you know, you doing this and how you talk and share. And so I think you have a lot of wisdom to impart. Um, so some things I would say is one, seek support. And one of the things maybe I didn't talk too much about it, but it's just the the utmost importance of social connection and social support. And so that is so important to have supportive people that one can talk to. Yeah. Um, I think another thing is I, I would put in a plug for um, talking to a therapist. If, you know, again, that's my bias. But if, if one needs it, if one is really feeling overwhelmed and struggling, um, the, the, this idea of just knowing you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. And I think that that's really important. And it's it's not a sign of weakness in any way. I think the opposite. I think being able to reach out of, yeah. for help, whether for, to friends or to a therapist or whomever, is, is a great sign of strength. Um, I think that... Um, knowing that there is a mourning process, that a divorce is is a kind of a death, yeah. you know, it's, it's the death of a, of a relationship and, and it's okay and normal and important to be able to grieve in whatever way, shape or form that looks like. Um, and so to, to give oneself permission to do that and to know that, um, there's no right way or wrong way to, to go through that or to, to feel. Um, also being aware of those unhelpful narratives though, mm. to really be able to catch those so that you're not getting pulled into the grip of that. Um, I would say if there's any kids involved, one of the biggest gifts that you can give the kids would be to really minimize conflict as much as possible and not talk badly about the ex to the kids. I think that's, that would certainly be some advice, you know, hopefully to trickle down yeah. and have a positive effect there. And then finally um, is this idea of kind of building um, a, a container safety for your nervous system. Mm. And I borrow that phrase from Michael Allison, who I'm taking a wonderful class with, but um, but this idea of, of, of having routines of having, you know, maybe it's exercise, um, breathing, meditation, social connection, movement, creative expression, music, being in nature, having these healthy go-to strategies for when you're stressed, for when you're, you know, struggling and, and being able to identify what those things are uh, to, to help you through. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you hit them all. Uh, excellent uh, words of advice to everybody. Uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, where where can uh, where can people find you and your book? And, and what's the best way to, to reach Beth? Yeah. Um, and actually, I can, do you mind if I throw out one more? Oh, no, no. Go ahead. I just, just thought of that. I, I didn't want to miss because it's it's go for it. Interesting. But um, but being able to take pen to paper and to, mm. to sometimes write. Yeah what one is experiencing feeling can also be another way of stepping out of, you know, the, these mental ruminations and be able to get a little perspective. Um, and there's just a fascinating study that I came across before you had reached out to me about doing this interview where they had, and this is from a book called Emotional Agility. Um, but she talked about these hundred senior engineers who had been laid off and most of these men were in their fifties and they couldn't find work. So after, four months, they took this group of them hadn't been able to find work. And they did this intervention where they asked some of the group to write about their, their feelings, hmm. um, about their emotions of, you know, being laid off and so forth. Right. And then there was a control group. Hmm. And what they found was that the men who delved into their emotions through, through this journaling were three times more likely to get reemployed. Wow. And the control group, because the writing not only helped them to process the emotions, but then because they processed their emotions, they were able to take more meaningful and helpful actions. So that's just another 
kind of last, last tool I'll throw <laughs> out, but I think there's some power in the writing. Yeah, no, agreed. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of where people can find me, I have a website, which is just my name, bethcurland.com, K-U-R-L-A-N-D, um, bethcurland.com. And on my website, I have a bunch of resources. Um, also, people can find me on Insight Timer if they're interested in um, any of my meditations or I have two audio courses uh, that help with stress. Nice. Um, yeah. So there's awesome. probably the easiest. Awesome. Well, th again, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, we, we will definitely uh, have to do it again. There's definitely more uh info to be mined here uh before before we go i i um i'm gonna ask you to hang on because i got a couple questions for you and sometimes i forget to say that to people when they sign off so so hang on for for a few minutes but but again thank you so very much for doing this i really appreciate wow, it this was wonderful thank you so much for having me yeah, you're welcome thank you so much for watching and or listening thank you to nick coyle and lifer for allowing me to use their song born again which you're hearing now and at the intro to the podcast Thank you to Justin Dillahanty and all of my brothers at The Alpha Code. Please visit the website, risingphoenixpodcast.com, to connect with me and other like-minded men who are looking to thrive and grow after their divorce. And remember to surround yourself with people who add value to your life, who challenge you to be greater than you were yesterday, who sprinkle magic into your existence like you do to theirs. Life is not meant to be done alone. Find your tribe. Take care.